Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. For those of us who love sports, and in many instances, live them every day, professional sports is the pinnacle of athletic performance. From an external perspective, we see the play on the field or court and have a view of what happens with the inner workings of the team, but that is often from a player personnel lens. Those of us fans of sports often forget that just like other industries, sports at their core are a business. And just like traditional businesses, sports organizations worry about things like P&L, budgets, and staffing. To address those areas, sports organizations have traditional business functions like finance and accounting. And no one understands the inner workings of a professional team better than our guest today, Kieran Kelleher. Kieran serves as the VP of Finance, the CFO role, for the Chicago Bulls, with a particular focus on business operations. He leads the finance and retail operations of the team, the business operations of the Windy City Bulls G League franchise, and is the treasurer of Chicago Bulls charities. He serves as a member of the NBA's Risk Management Advisory Council and previously on the NBA All-Star 2020 Operating Committee. In addition to his work with the Bulls, Kieran also serves on the faculty of Northwestern University as an adjunct lecturer teaching sports business, finance, accounting, and economics for the Master's in Sports Administration program and is co-chair of the program's admissions committee. A licensed CPA in the state of Illinois and a member of AICPA and Illinois CPA Society, Kieran graduated with a bachelor's in accounting and corporate finance and a master's in accounting from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Kieran does so much for the Northwestern MSA program, and we're eternally grateful to have him as a member of the faculty. And he also brings incredible insight into the world of professional sports. So we hope you all enjoy this conversation with Kieran Kelleher. Kieran, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, my pleasure. This is this is exciting to do. My first yeah. podcast, to be honest with you. Oh, that's great. And I'm, I'm excited to it, it's, you know, for the listeners, Kieran and I get to do a lot of work together. I'm really fortunate to get to do a lot of work with Kieran through Northwestern, whether that's, you know, from an admissions council perspective or, you know, with a lot of things that he does from, from an MSA program. And, and we're eternally grateful for all those things, but it, it, it makes it really enjoyable to be able to have this conversation to, to get out some of these things to, you know, a wider audience that, that I get to hear from him all the time. You know, it, Kieran, there's a lot of things about your job today with the Bulls that, that are really interesting that I want to dig into, not only from a, the Bulls, but how, you know, you, from an organizational perspective, fit in and all those roles and responsibilities that you have. But before we get there, uh, can we rewind it back and talk about sort of your path into sports and how you got into sports overall? Sure. And, and I'll, I'll jump even a second before that. Uh, so Southside Irish, uh, born and raised. Uh, so I'm, I'm local to Chicago. Um, youngest of eight kids, seven of us went to University of Illinois. So I went to the University of Illinois for accounting and finance and um, really just from from time in high school, even just had an interest in business and and kind of how organizations were structured and operated. Um, it wasn't even so much about money. It was really about resources and planning and, and a little bit of strategy and things like that. Uh, so that that uh, got me to Illinois for accounting and finance. I did bachelor's in both of those plus a master's uh, in, in my time there. Uh, and then from from that, I landed uh, fairly quickly into public accounting. So a great place to launch a career is, is kind of the counseling I saw and heard at at uh, my time at Illinois. And so I started with Deloitte and, and was a um, audit practitioner uh, practitioner for Deloitte 
spent just under or almost exactly nine years, um, eventually running audits of public and private companies. And seven of those years were back in Chicago. We, we did a couple of years with my uh, my wife doing her master's at Ohio State. Um, but in, in that time in Chicago, I was very intentional about um, getting into industries that appealed to me and that I had at least some interest, working knowledge, et cetera. So fair amount of retail, construction, a little bit of technology experience, um, some restaurants as well. Um, but obviously sports was was a personal interest of mine. And so, you know, with um, with that kind of intentional networking inside the firm, I, I was ultimately tabbed to lead the audit of the Chicago Bulls for my final three years out of my nine years of, of uh, service at Deloitte. Uh, and so, you know, from that, again, from the power of relationships, really just got to know the client, got to know their business well. And uh, then a couple of my predecessors uh, who led kind of legal finance, that that administrative wing of the Bulls, uh, they had been here for um, 43 and 28 years, respectively. And uh, even they would say this isn't uh, this isn't you know news per se. They were running certain things the way that they had built them, right? Like that, you know, there's a lot of things that were very kind of manual that were very you know paper-based etc um using good controls but controls that were designed for a time and a, and a business that was of a certain size and a certain complexity and when when they retired it was an opportunity for ownership to just kind of modernize the group and, and bring in a little bit of a a different lens you know use a little bit more technology build for scale some of the things that that we talked about during the uh the conversations which went very quickly frankly in terms of um you know me moving from being a service provider and, and in that professional services role to uh coming to work from directly so frankly it was a job I, I just couldn't refuse to to come work in sports to lead a, a team that i already had some relationships with and and knew and, and was very impressed by um, but also be an agent of change and, and, and get my fingerprints on some things about, um, you know, how we do things in that core accounting and finance part of, of what the Bulls do. And, and so that was uh, 2014 when I started with the Bulls. Um, have uh, been here, uh, gosh, the math would tell me that's uh, eight years, a little bit over eight <laughs> years at this point. Um, and, and growth has been very much um, horizontal in terms of, of scope of what I do. So still have uh, that, that lead responsibility for accounting, finance, um, just being a steward of assets and resources, right? <laughs> But growth has been very much, um, you know, whether it's little parts of our business that need some operational diligence, that needs some some kind of thoughtful planning and attention and, and um, or just new projects, new events that came up. And so, you know, I've also got responsibility for the business operations of our G League franchise, the Windy City Bulls based out in Hoffman Estates uh, and, and have uh, really focused on integration of that, making sure it's not seen as a different entity, but it's really an integrated business unit or department of the Bulls. Um, and then recently uh, taken over uh, retail operations. So that's something that, again, just need a little bit of time and attention to, to do, a, frankly, a bit of a turnaround uh, of where we were five, six years ago versus where we are now. Uh, and so that's that's uh, a more recent example of kind of that horizontal scope growth um, that's more formal. And then beyond that, we're a small organization. And so there's a lot of informal opportunities to collaborate and and do some great kind of um, project uh, teamwork and 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 uh, collaboration in those fashions. I think that, that you mentioned something that I want to dig into shortly about it being a small organization, right? We we often think of of 
professional sports teams and, and leagues is such bit and they are big business right but at the end of the day you know the the, the core groups that work in them can can be smaller teams I think an interesting question Ron. I know this is going to sound really rudimentary but for myself and, and mm-hmm. for for a lot of the listeners can you give us the high level view of what someone from an accounting perspective does it to twofold just in general like at your organization that you now okay. but you yeah. talked about what you do you know w- when you're with Deloitte doing the audits for both public and privately uh, public and, and private companies what do those things entail and the reason i ask this is i think the one thing that we often see with sports is that you know there's a very forward face to the business quote unquote right there's the the play mm-hmm. on the field but we often forget that underneath that there is a business that is run that all those traditional business you know components still occur no that's that's spot on and that's something that you know even in in our time as instructors in Northwestern, that that's one of the initial light bulb moments in my class with with the students is you know this is still an element of the overall sports entity that's going to look a lot like most other companies. If, if you're running a company for profit, uh, you've got to keep the, what's the tagline? Keep the lights on, keep the bills paid. Um, but more precisely, you need to have um, that kind of roadmap, both historically, kind of where have we been you know, generating revenues, spending our spending our resources, et cetera. Um, but then that information feeds into current and forward-looking decisions, and so it's it's really that language and that information source to make financially-based decisions comes from accounting, right? And so to get there, it's it's any any dollar moved, any dollar spent, invested, generated, et cetera. Um, you know, you've got to be able to to track the source of it. You have to have good controls around it in terms of um, you know, again, not only accuracy of tracking but making sure stuff doesn't you know grow legs and walk away um and and so all of that is rolled up into this this concept of keeping the books keeping a ledger of your financial activities your your historical transactions your customer records your vendor records such that you can go back and and discern and recreate whatever happened in the past but more valuably i think you then have a really really good data set of information to make decisions for the future and so that's the interplay of where accounting then leads into and supports other things like finance and and some of those some of those key things about okay where am i going to deploy resources where am i going to um make a decision on kind of time and duration of investment uh, magnitude of investment. You know, is this is this new business unit or this new product line something that you know merits you know more resources? How is it performing? Things like that. That's where you get much more forward, you know, current and forward looking. And and I think the value of having a good accounting system, good good team, good good uh, good data becomes valuable is because it then informs and drives your forward looking decision. And that, that gets more into that kind of second part of my job, which is the the finance piece. And that's everything from um, budgeting. So your resource planning, you know, a very kind of rigorous annual process to um, start to figure out from your overall strategies, how are we going to make our actions match our words? How are we going to make our resources, our, our you know financial human capital the resources that we steward, how are we going to align that to the strategic priorities that we've designed as an organization and, you know, make those trade-offs, make those choices of where resources get more heavily spent and invested versus where do we maybe pull back from? And, and, and so that that's in many ways, a financial decision of, um, you know, looking at things like the return on your investments, the, 
Um, you know, if you think about the time value of money concept that we've probably learned about and some of the listeners have learned about in, in college and high school, um, you know, what, what's the duration of, of your payback, et cetera, if we go heavy into this product, this business unit, et cetera, versus, um, versus alternatives that, that we need to make trade-off decisions on. And, and so that, that's, um, at a, at a very high level, you know, kind of the, the dual part of this type of role that, that stays in the core business administration of a, of a sports enterprise, or any for-profit company is, you know, where have we been, but then also looking forward, where do we want to go and how do we make sure that the resources align with that? It's really interesting that you talk about, you can see, you know, again, I say from a lay person, right? I, I do not have a finance or accounting background in any way, shape or form. Um, and in truth need to be better at it. But I think you can see how those two, the interplay of those two things together is really valuable. Is that commonplace though. And what I mean by that is, is it commonplace in organizations, regardless of sports or not, that the accounting function and the finance function are intertwined or are they sometimes kept as separate functions? Because you can, as you outlined it, you can really see the benefit of that, but you could see too how they could be separate corporate functions. Yeah. I'd say the biggest thing that drives that is simply scale. Um, if you are a larger, more complex multinational, uh, maybe a, a amalgamation of, of a number of different businesses that are kind of you know, owned and run as a group, uh, then I think with complexity and scale comes the need to have even more specialization and, and differentiation, if you will, um, and, and um, you know, separation of job responsibilities. There was still a heavy degree of, in, in, a, in my mind, in a well-run business, there's still partnership and, and collaboration there, uh, but it is much more of a, you know, kind of group or person X then packages that up and hands it off to a group or person Y to, to do, again, you know, accounting, finance, and some of the natural interplay there. Um, those would still naturally roll up under your typical CFO type role. And it's just a matter of how big is his team, his or her team, how, how widely distributed it is and how siloed it might need to be to allow for focus and allow for, um, again, good controls, kind of clarity of thought, things like that. So that, you know, you get the right outputs from those right people on the team, uh, you know, at a sports enterprise, back to your point about, um, you know, we, we are high profile businesses. In many cases, though, these are smaller to mid-sized companies, maybe only a small subsidiary of a bigger corporate entity where, you know, a family or a business invested in a sports franchise as an outcropping of maybe their personal wealth generation or, or success in, in other businesses. So sometimes a sports entity is just a, frankly, a subsidiary or a, a division of a, a bigger company. Otherwise, it's it's a smaller kind of, has elements of maybe feeling a little bit more family run as well, mm-hmm. uh, but a smaller to mid-sized entity that's uh, much more akin to kind of a, a mid-level private company in many ways. So, so rarely are you having to deal with public investors, public financial and reporting requirements, um, publicly traded securities, the pressure of public debt, things like that. And that's largely off the table for most domestic sports franchises. Um, but instead, you're, you're dealing with one or a small set of individual investors who have varying degrees of interest in the business and, and varying degrees of um, skill set that aligns with that. So you may have some very hands-on ownership that is hands-on in certain areas of the business, but not others. And and so that just creates very unique circumstances at any sports franchise in my mind where it's not kind of cookie cutter. It's not 
you know, okay, we need this executive to fit this role and we're going to pull them from the same, from a, a peer company because it's the exact same role. Well, not really the case. Titles mm. and responsibilities I've seen tend to kind of drift away from each other at, at these smaller sports franchises relative to, you know, if, again, if you're going to a Fortune 500 company, you have a pretty good sense of what VPX does or, mm-hmm. or CXOY does because that's a much more um, structured and, and commonplace um, you know, entity and, and job scope that, that that would look like. And a lot of times based on regulation or, or rules and regulations that ensure that those the scope of those things because of being a publicly traded company and so on. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it really was. You and I had a conversation. This has been a couple of years. And you mentioned a light bulb moment. It's an interesting light bulb moment for me when you, you said that same phrase. You said, you know, a professional sports organization is oftentimes – it can feel more like a family business than it does a major corporation, right? And from the, from the viewer or the sports fan, we see, you know, packed stadiums. We see players that make mm-hmm. a lot of money. We see, you know, a lot of revenue generated. For, and so we, I think we equate that with huge corporate enterprise. But it's so fascinating to me that that once you dig a layer deeper, that it really makes a whole lot of sense that no that that's not actually the case in certain in certain instances that's not the case it really is more like a family run business and i think that makes a lot of sense but you know i think that that's something that it was a big surprise to me and i'm certain would be a surprise to the listeners and, and and to unpack that a bit i should have given a, a little bit more context to that um so at the bulls for example we are in the neighborhood of about 150 full-time uh employees it gets closer to you know 200 when you add in players and 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 maybe some of our basketball staff um and, but then supported by any given day of game there's key vendors who run our run the arena run our concessions etc that you get a lot of uh day of game and and mm-hmm. part-time labor that staff set up by a few hundred folk um but we're also supported by the league the, so the league office uh runs uh, a fair amount of again league-wide operations one of the biggest things is is uh, supporting things like national broadcast and mm-hmm. and uh, national licensing and IP rights and national sponsorships and stuff. And so, you know, the sports properties in these big four um, sports leagues, uh, they themselves may not be huge in market, but they're also benefiting from a league wide structure that, you know, your average a uh, quick service restaurant doesn't have a whole league of restaurants that are, are taking care of, you know, top line acts. Um, some of why I think the um, staffing scale, the, the the labor call is maybe disproportionate to the perceived kind of scale and revenues is because so much of our product is remote and digitally consumed. It's through broad, like if you think about both dollars, but also fan base, um, 99% of our fans will never come to a Chicago Bulls home game. And that's, that's something that we reflect on here and talk about actively here as we think about fan cultivation and things like that. You know, we, we have to have an awesome local experience and product uh, for those, you know, 18, 19 plus thousand fans that'll come out to those home games. But growth in the sports leagues has been broadcast remote consumers digital it's been out of arena growth not only fan base but also revenue generation and so you know that scales really efficiently if you have the right broadcast partners the right technology etc to support that growth and to invest in that growth and so you know we're capped we have a fixed number of games on the schedule uh fixed number of seats in the stands and so you know we want to do our best to maximize that and we put a lot of time and resources into that and and to maximizing that experience too um but really the growth in the leagues in the last few decades has been 
just the outsized um, attention and uh, engagement that you get through historically your linear broadcast and now much more you're over the top streaming smaller digital bite-sized packages of content. And that's why I think the profile and the revenue generation and, and the size of these companies doesn't know necessarily match the the people that are working here day to day. Yeah, it's really interesting to break those things down. I think, you know, even just looking at it from the outside, uh, the Bulls are a great example of, of, and I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of in the media about this recently, you know, the Bulls are a great example of someone that does both. And what I mean by that is there's not a whole lot of empty seats at the United Center. Regardless, you know, and so the local product is very, not only very followed, but but it's, you know, it's very enjoyable to go to those games. But if you look at it, too, from a viewership perspective outside of the stadium, I think that the Bulls draw a lot of eyeballs. I mean, you can see even to something like like Benny. Benny the Bull has, what is it, you know, an enormous amount of TikTok followers, right? Mm-hmm. More than, than, and so like, I think the Bulls have done a really good job of expanding into those other places where you continue to one, grow revenue, but to grow those eyeballs. Because like you said, there's a fixed number of seats and most fans are not in the geography that the, that they can actually follow those and go to the game on a, on a you know, week to week basis. Yeah. And, and keep me honest here, if I stray too far from, Accounting and finance, because I just love, frankly, I love the business and the product. And and that's much of what appealed for me to come work at the Bulls was obviously I I get to do my kind of accounting, financial calling card type stuff. But it's a product that I care about and that I think I've and and certainly have grown in my knowledge of and, and a fan experience that I have a commitment to to supporting albeit supporting from my kind of back office you know you know keeping the numbers type uh, position um you know but but to that point you know where we've made strategic decisions and headcount decisions and financial and budgeting decisions to support growth has been um very much focused on you know staying at the top end of our of our uh, you know fan engagement um and fan experience um, ratings and, and to do so in a way that cultivates, you know, waves and generations of growth of fan base. Like we, we need to invest in the future and, and make a intentionally long-term view of how do we grow our fan base to be, you know, financially future customers, but frankly, just future supporters, future folks that will engage in content, will come out to games, will be advocates for us, even out of market, things like that. And so to do that, there's been a heavy investment in both the headcount and the technology around things like business strategy and analytics with uh, just understanding who our fans are, starting to segment them more, starting to um, identify common profiles of fans and how do we then tailor experiences and benefits to those different fan groups in different ways so that we kind of improve and maximize the the perceived value and the the, the exchange of value that, that we have with our fans. Even if we can't monetize them here at a ticketed game, um, you know, how, how do we still speak to different types of fans in a way that they enjoy and, and will feel some, you know, perceived or elevated value from? Um, that is a strategic choice, but has an outcropping or has an interplay of, you know, financial resources, headcount resources, things like that to make those intentional investments. Because if you look at an ROI of investing in, call it youth hoops, for example, uh, you're not gonna make what you're spending in terms of marketing, in terms of youth camps, in terms of um, uh, Bulls Kid Nation um, programs and, and memberships, 
it's, it's not a positive ROI if you just look at the dollars. It's because you're looking at a much longer duration and, and an investment in the future. And so that's where the finance and accounting folks like me have to help manage and be careful about the word choice and, and the language of how we describe some of these things to make it clear that, you know, as we talk to ownership, as we talk to our peers, you know, this isn't just a financial decision in, in this one spot. It's a financial decision that supports a broader strategic play. And therefore, you have to look at it maybe on a different timeline or with a different language about investment versus expenditure. I think it's it's really interesting. I don't think you stray anyway at all from accounting and finance. What I think is even more interesting is that, and for the listeners and and you know, especially some of the students that 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 are listeners, what it really brings up, all the things that you just talked about, is yes, your core and correct me where I'm wrong here, but I think this is really valuable for the listeners is that your core roles, right? And your core, you know, pieces that you've done for a long time are that accounting and finance piece, right? Mm-hmm. But just think of all the things that you just talked about, you know, the extensions of the things that you do inside that business. And, and I think what's really valuable about that is, you know, we often talk about what are jobs in sports? How do you get into jobs in sports? What do these jobs entail? Mm-hmm. And I think a really important point that you just made is, well, that kind of what you make them. And what I mean by that is you, you, you have that core function that is vital to that team, but look how far you've extended and the other things that you get to do inside of this role because, you know, you take that core accounting role and play that, but then it touches so many other pieces of the organization that you get to do so many different things. Yeah. And, and you'd like to think maybe it's just the natural culture of a team sport, but uh, at the Bulls, certainly, and I'd say even at the league level, I've, I've got very good kind of direct observation of this. I've been very pleasantly surprised. Maybe one of the biggest surprises I got when I came inside the walls here and, and started working directly for the Bulls was the level of collaboration and the not only spirit, but like clear mandate to, you know, to not just fly solo or, or try and kind of build and own your own silo of territory, but to integrate, to, to, to break down walls, not build them, to focus on consultation in the decision-making, um, but also share best practices and knowledge across uh, teams and across departments where, where it's helpful. Um, that's been one of the biggest pleasant surprises I had, not only at the Bulls, but also at the league level. You know, we're, we're competitors on the court and, you know, you might have your fiercest rival eliminate you in the playoffs, um, but that doesn't stop folks like me picking up the phone, talking to our peers to talk about whatever the, the pressing issues of, of the day or the month or the, the year are. And, and that's a intentional and um, supported element that the league drives and, and, and predates me. It's not something that, that's only been recent. This goes back to um, you know, the days of David Stern when he was commissioner of the league about you know, we are a business together. We are business partners together competing on the court, but um, it's in everyone's interest to share knowledge, share best practices, you know, invest in your, your internal kind of professional networks in the sports space. Because, you know, then that supports all of us when, when our best and our worst franchises all continue to get better, better financially, um, operational performance, fan engagement, etc. We all benefit from that. We all do better. Um, and so being in a going back to the theme of these are a little bit smaller businesses and most people appreciate that naturally means you kind of roll up your sleeves and get to to collaborate and touch and see more things. You know, you know, everyone in the, in, in the company, you work with most people in the company on a, on some somewhat frequent basis actually, but then also that scales up to 
this, you know, at, in a professional league, like we have, it scales up at the league level as well. And, and so I, I know my peers at virtually every team, unless they've just had recent turnover and have very strong and good relationships with a, a good handful of those peers, uh, maybe because of like markets, like franchise situations, like ownership situations, or maybe just, you know, common past experience. And so, so that has been a, another positive element of how do you make accounting and finance valuable outside of your walls? Um, it's, you're also a great conduit of information because you have and share and see information and data with the other teams about, hey, what are they doing in sponsorships, ticket sales, et cetera. A lot of that information actually flows through finance. And then I I am responsible for helping digest that and then disseminate, disseminate some of that to, you know, some of my peers around the, the bulls here. It's really interesting, right? Because, you know, I even think about it from my own business perspective, right? There is a certain separation from a finance and accounting perspective, but it, it, the, like you said, breaking down those silos makes a whole lot of sense because of the things that you see, the money that flows through the accounting for those dollars and cents. Well, that can also help make a lot of informed decisions about, you know, certain, whether it's marketing activities, whether it's, it's outreach and all those, it, it, it's really interesting. You know, one question back to, from speaking of those dollars and cents mm-hmm. in, a, in a typical business, right? The end goal is to create one profit and or shareholder value, Right. Sports is different because I think that there's a component inside of that of winning, right? Mm-hmm. In winning, and I think as a fan or someone from the outside, you often see there is a desire to win at quote unquote all costs, right? Being someone that deals with those dollars and cents and not certainly not speaking in specifics, but you see that is something that is – part of the interplay in sports is there a decision making piece that goes into it that says well maybe this isn't the best fiscal decision but it services winning in for lack of a better term yeah and 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 both big and small like the public obvious ones are investing in some big you know high profile free agent or resigning or whatever it might be um that clearly falls in that bucket that you just outlined of of kind of near term, shorter term decisions to make a outsized investment or uh, boost an expenditure on like your 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 biggest piece of your PL being your your player salaries, depending on what sport and what league you're in. I would say that lives in a lot of smaller decisions along the way too. And and a lot of the investments that, you know, we're a basketball franchise, a lot of the investments you make in basketball operations aren't as big as that one key or two key player signings or key trades. It's a uh, grouping or you know series of small decisions of okay we're we're gonna maybe invest more in this technology platform in the you know in some headcount or you know maybe we need to you know it's a, it's a war for talent just like it is in the business world here and in, in, you know we're both in the Chicagoland area and, and nationally we see what what the um, you know what the the wage growth and the and the talent competition looks like um, that's true in the sports piece or the sports operations pieces of, of any sports franchise you know so so it's making all of those decisions as well where if we were simply trying to maximize near-term profitability that would point to the opposite direction on m- many of those decisions um but i don't know that we always have to hold those in complete contrast to each other winning and profitability or win- winning and business growth like successful business makes the industry makes your 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 profession more lucrative for players to play in right like as as we as a league and as a team generate more revenue and profits you know not only do we specifically have more resources to the resources to then invest in player um, player salaries and benefits but as a league by definition 
the share of revenues and benefits uh, to the players grows proportionately. And so, you know, I, I think there's an understanding that we need to invest in the product. And, and let's keep in mind, our product is highly talented athletes competing in front of our fans and the experience of that and and, and the, the sense of, of winning or potential to win from that. But business success doesn't have to be, even in the short term, doesn't have to be contrary to um, basketball success or, or, or success of the sporting operations. You know, you may make some trade-offs or you, you may run at different levels of profitability or maybe, you know, expecting losses for short periods of time, but you're doing so with the mindset of a good product that my fans enjoy and engage in is going to produce financial results, um, if not immediately, certainly in some some near term. And so I, I know we in the Chicago sports talk radio market, you hear a lot about this for, for any team. Um, but I just, you know, that's one of the things I go to when I talk to, our, to, to my students or, or just kind of talk to folks about the industry is um, they actually orient the same direction if you do it right. You know, your, your business success and your success on the court or on the field should actually pull the same direction if you do it right. And, and the best ownership groups in my mind are the ones that are stable and take a long term view for that. And, and are willing to make those investments to then, you know, uh, support, you know, not only basketball priorities, but also business priorities. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? It makes sense that if you, <laughs> those two things could could sort of drive in concert, right? Move forward in, in, in lockstep. But you see, you know, as, as a fan, you see stories about teams that, you know, are, for lack of a better term, not, you know, don't win as often, but are still mm-hmm. profitable, right? Are still profitable mm-hmm. because of, and the oftentimes the the view from the outside or, or maybe how the, the media positions it is that, well, they're profitable because they don't care about the product on the court, the field and so on, which, you know, I don't know if that is true or, or could be true, but I think it's really interesting how you talk about how those two things, if done correctly, can sort of drive e- each other in the right direction. Yeah, and, and, and I... I am always cautious about trying to judge anyone's intentions, um, hmm. but my sense is I've not come across anyone with either you know an owner themselves or kind of plugged into their ownership group. I've never heard anyone say they don't care that they that they don't care about winning. Um, frankly, that's a lot of the reason these folks own these teams um, hmm. is because they're passionate about it. Um, it, does that mean when you have 30 teams trying to win one ring or one championship trophy at the end of the year and only in our situation, roughly half of them make the playoffs? So so in any given year, half the teams don't make the playoffs, right? Uh, it's even worse in baseball um, or certain other sports where less teams qualify. You may care a lot and either because it's a short term rebuild or maybe because of just a sequence of bad decisions you may care a lot and just you know not have a competitive team at that moment or maybe have a unfortunate history of not being competitive it's not my sense though is because they don't care it's it's right. it's execution it's not it's not the desire to win um yeah, it, it is what's interesting right though because there is that dynamic that's a little different right in the sense that you know, if you work for a publicly traded company, obviously the end goal is to create that shareholder mm-hmm. value and so on. Mm-hmm. There isn't necessarily that quote unquote winning component that's there, right? It, the end all be all is is the success of the business. And that oftentimes comes down to sort of a, the fiduciary responsibility to whether it's the shareholders and, and so on. But the winning part is is interesting in it. You know, we, you, you mentioned earlier that you have that responsibility for the G League team as well. Mm-hmm. And it, I, 
curious of you know what are the differences? Are there different are there are different challenges that you face with with the G League team? Are there the, what what's similar? What's different? What's sort of the interplay between the two? Yeah, so I'd say it comes. It starts with what's our strategy or what's any team's strategy with their um, their G League team, their minor league team. It's kind of the equivalent of AAA baseball, just to to, to level set with uh, with listeners here and whatnot. Um, it's the next best league of professional basketball players uh and and that maybe historically was more debatable but the talent level in the g league is incredible you we've we've as a league made a lot of progress of of keeping folks who might go overseas because they can make more money uh, in the short term um a lot of those folks are staying domestic now to to play in the g league if they didn't if they didn't get drafted or didn't get an nba contract right out of college um because the easiest way and the most visible way to stay relevant for those opportunities is to stay here domestically. The 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 COVID uh, you know really last couple of seasons, but especially this past season is a great testament to that. We had you know by far a record number of G League players get um, called up or signed to NBA contracts because of the. Um, COVID disruption to the rosters and how many spots need to be filled. Those were all coming from the domestic folks because they were present. They were well scouted. Um, they play in the exact same style and systems of mm. and rules, uh, largely the same rules as NBA basketball does. The, the the transition is very smooth to take someone from a G League team who's literally getting the same coaching in, in many cases, the same playbook and the play calls and stuff and just pull them up to the NBA team. Um, but then interestingly, in the last few years, we've seen more international players uh, who maybe haven't been drafted yet or, or don't immediately land an NBA contract. We're seeing more of them come into the G League again for the for visibility, for um, acclimation to, to kind of settle into NBA style basketball so that they can then, you know, hopefully make that breakthrough and 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 either get drafted or, or land a uh, land an NBA contract. So that, so that's level setting of what the league has become. And it, it really is the next best level of, of basketball. And therefore, because of how it's built intentionally to, to look and feel and be a lot like NBA basketball and the product is these these folks are just a hair, a hair below that NBA level. Um, a lot of what we can sell in terms of the product is is explaining the story of how this is part of the nba team how you know some of the some of the guys on the court as well as some of the people on the bench and some of the you know some of the referees like these are all folks that are um have the potential to be future nba players including future players for your specific team in some cases and so you know we we've got a product that is very similar but we've got a different customer and a different set, you know, a different market and a different segment of customers here. Uh, and that's more, that's more of an us story than a league story. In some cases, the G league teams are literally in the same building or, or, or same kind of, you know, downtown city area. And so they're selling to kind of the same cost, same type of customer, but frankly at a different price point. Hmm. And, and that drives a different customer, right? If you think about customer segmentation, in our case, we're an hour out in the suburbs. We're in a very high density kind of, um, mid-career, mid-family, family-oriented type of customer profile base out there. And there's a lot of good businesses and stuff out there, but, you know, these are folks that are far enough away from downtown where it is a hassle to get all the way downtown to the United Center to come out to our NBA games um, and or are probably a little bit more value and budget conscious and looking for experiences that, like, their whole family could enjoy 
especially a family that has younger kids. And so while the product on the court is real similar and we can sell that to the people that are those X's and O's basketball people to say, hey, look, this is the guy that just went off for 40 points in the NCAA tournament. Or, you know, this is the viral guy uh, who's, you know, about to break into the league this next season and, and, and she's kind of refining a skill set. So much of what we're selling is the entertainment experience as an extension of our Bulls brand and our Bulls entertainment, it's going to be of a very similar caliber, um, but it's local in that market and it's more family oriented so that we think about the experience of, um, you know, youth and younger folks that they're coming out to watch a little bit of basketball, but also to, to come play in the fun zone, to go do the balloon artist on the concourse to, you know, have a fun giveaway that maybe is a little bit, you know, going to slide a little bit more down the scale in terms of, of where it meets our customers age wise. And so it's really just a matter of continuing to think about how we segment our customers and, and meet them where they're at and sell to them where they're at with our product, but making sure that our product is authentic and on brand and, and an extension of the bold brand and not just, a kind of self-made, independently created minor league experience. We actually don't use the word minor league that much. We, we talk about this as this is the G League. This is our development extension of the NBA team. And that's true on the basketball side, but also true on the business side. True of what we do in terms of how we staff it and opportunities for folks to, um, you know, maybe spend a year or two in one place, maybe go to the other franchise for a year or two and, and, and have some of that, that back and forth or, or even kind of shared time between the two franchises. Yeah, you can see the value between that, right? I mean, if you look at, you mentioned minor league baseball, and I think that minor league, the best minor league baseball that I've experienced does exactly what you're talking about of it provides a different experience for those, you know, a good example of this. I mean, you can think of something like the Kane County Cougars, if you want to keep it mm -hmm. local, right? They do a very good job of having a local experience. I think what you mentioned though, that's very different and what's really cool about, you know, the G league team and the extension from, you know, the larger organization is the product that's on the court, right? That mm. could be then the, the potential. You do have those selling points of, right? These are potential future NBA players, and a lot of them, you know, come back and forth from from the NBA team and so on. I think that that makes a big difference in the sense that sometimes with minor league baseball, that play is not quite the same, and you're not going to run into guys that are going to be, you know, in, in major league baseball down the line. But the G League, right, that, that opportunity is there. But like you said, a smart, such a smart approach to see the difference in the customer base, to see the difference in the product, quote unquote, that's being sold to those different locations, because it is vastly different versus, you know, in the West Loop of, of Chicago and, and the northern suburbs. Yeah. And, and, and so much of what we're competing against isn't uh, professional sports teams or other minor league teams. We're competing for time. We're competing for entertainment time and and you know dollars in a family's budget right and so our competition is the you know arcade uh place across the street or the medieval times down the road and or the movie theater or you know and this is true of almost any any entertainment business these days it's our phones and, and you know, like all the stuff that we have very curated very tailored and sitting in our pocket and available at any moment and so you know we have to build a business case for a compelling entertainment product that's more than just what's on the court we 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 can sell some based on what's on the court and 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 the caliber of play and the caliber of athletes that that our fans get to enjoy and experience um and the competition right winning and losing still matters to some but it actually matters less at this level it's it's how does that get wrapped in an enter in a memorable entertainment experience where you know, the whole family at some point feels like they 
you know, parents, kids, whoever feels like they enjoyed something that was a little bit more kind of tailored or special for them or memorable for them. And so using myself as an example, obviously I, I love the X's and O's of basketball. I could just go watch a, a, a game in an empty gym. Um, but my, you know, now eight year old, when I started with the Bulls, she was <laughs> three months old, you know, she's grown up and she loves, she's interested in some of the basketball stuff. She loves the entertainment product around it. And, and that's what she wants is, Oh, Hey, do I get to go do this? Or, you know, hit that, hit the bouncy house or, uh, you know, try and catch a t-shirt or, or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I, I'm mindful that that's relevant here at the Bulls downtown, but even more relevant um, as we think about the, the different fan profile out at Windy City and, and Hoffman Estates. Well, I think you're right, though, but it also is relevant to Bulls. And I mean, to use a personal example from my my life, my you know, my wife is not a huge sports fan, but mm-hmm. loves going to NBA games because they're engaging on many different levels, but it's also very, you know what you're getting into, meaning two, two and a half hour experience, right? In and out of here. It's not going to be one of those things that that the, like baseball could go on, no clock that's there or football that, and I think how the Bulls and and the NBA in general, I think the NBA has made a lot of really smart decisions around, Mm -hmm. especially in the content consumption and where those things can be consumed externally, right? NBA videos being on YouTube or things that can be consumed on Instagram and, and that stuff. But I think it, it does do a really good job, the Bulls themselves, the NBA in general, of packaging that sort of entertainment experience together with really good basketball as the backdrop. Yeah, and, and we've got the benefit to your point of, you know, we, we know our schedule of the game very well. You're not based on innings and how long. And I love baseball, though. Baseball is my first love. So take this as no disparagement of, of my favorite sport. Um, but you, you don't have weather delays. You don't have innings and pitching changes that can, you know, completely kind of screw up your your run of show and your schedule you know we've got a a fairly well controlled product to then fill in around in terms of entertainment value and we get to do it in a very tightly enclosed arena with the focus on the court and we get to use the court and that in particular is, is maybe one of the biggest differentiators of basketball versus other entertainment products is yes you can do a little bit on the field and you know have your grounds crew dance to ymca uh in between innings and that's awesome by the way um, but you know, literally every timeout, every stoppage of play, we can we can trot out an entertainment team, a mascot, a you know, a special spotlight for a community partner, whatever the right kind of mix of things are that we want to accomplish. Um, we've got a stage that we have you know twenty thousand plus folks staring at, uh, and we have their attention because we're in the heat of a key game and and we're coming off a timeout or a quarter break or whatnot. It, it the the structure of it lends itself to entertainment. And we're aware of exactly what we talked about, like that 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 fan as entertainment customer perspective is, is something we certainly reflect on because we've segmented and understand that not all of our fans are just here to watch the basketball game. And so that's been an intentional investment and in, in one that, you know, the you know, the financial return, but also just the impact we get in terms of fan experience surveys and and memorable moments that that then build and, and develop your overall fan base, um, you know, our, our teams here, you know, not only just game entertainment, but others around digital content, uh, marketing, et cetera, they've really maximized that financial investment because of the creativity, the, in some cases, the use of technology, the key vendors that we partner with, 
um, all of that is how we've kind of taken, you know, what's a, a fairly controlled and modest financial investment and really plussed it up with, um, again, great thoughts, great execution to, to, to invest in that fan experience. And, and so I, I guess I'm, I'm really drawing a big circle back to where we started the conversation is, you know, I'm very pleased and privileged to have a super small part in those uh, conversations and process because I'm helping evaluate trade-offs and investments and, and give people the tools and the language to, to, to discern that and to talk about that internally and then upward to ownership. Um, but then I, I work with a fantastic team here that knows how to take something and run with it and, and just crush it. And, and then it's very easy to then look back at the end of a season or at the end of a few season stretch and, and point to excellent return on investment and excellent business growth with that small kind of, you know, upfront control and process to, to guide it. It makes all those conversations easier when, when if my job is to steward resources and we have people that do a great job executing and, and leveraging those resources to then just feed that back into the cycle and say, hey, look, we've proven X, Y, and Z. Now we want to try this new thing. And, and we get great support and guidance from ownership to, to take those risks because we've we've proven we, we generally do well when we take those risks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. It's a really good job of bringing that back full circle to where you sort of explain those things. And I, I could sit here and talk to you all day about these. There's many, many topics that, that we could dig into. But, you know, we really appreciate the, the time today, Kieran, and, and, and all the insights. It's really, really cool to see, you know, the inner workings of, of what goes on at, at a professional sports organization to understand that they really are a business underneath, but still are those, those you know, sports entities that we know and love. So thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, for, for sure. It's been, been a great pleasure. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Please. Thank you so much.